trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me as we exercise our right to revel in wrong think. Yeah, it's not about having all the answers, but it's about being able to freely question and hopefully come up with the right answer by asking the right questions. But for some reason, that really bothers some people. And I guess that's a good thing for them and or a good a bad thing for them and a good thing for me. Happy to have you on board as a free thinker, someone willing to stand up and to claim your heritage as a free individual. Our program is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Wanted to start this hour with a really great essay from my friend Barry Brownstein. You know, it's, it's pretty commonplace these days to explain opposition to vaccination mandates on the part of the unvaccinated as well. These are just people who've been misled by misinformation on vaccines or they're stupid or they're selfish. Very few times are we allowed to consider that maybe there is another reason. In fact, maybe there's a legit reason why people are not anxious to embrace what's being you know, forced on them from so many angles. I like uh, Barry Brownstein's latest article, The Totalitarian Roots of Vaccine Mandates. And I think this is possibly the best explanation for why people like myself are so resistant to the idea of something like this being mandated, being implemented right over the top of your personal autonomy. Here's what he has to say. He says, over the course of the pandemic, principles of what a free society means are being redefined by collectivists. And, and listen to this explanation. This, this is so Orwellian. He says, consider this essay. Don't COVID vaccine mandates actually promote freedom? Medical ethicists Kyle Ferguson and Arthur Kaplan argue those who oppose cracking down on the unvaccinated are getting it all wrong. Ferguson and Kaplan are sure their opponents have a flawed view of freedom. They argue passports and mandates are hardly strong-arm tactics. These strategies are better seen as liberty inducers. They bring about freedom rather than deplete it. Oh yeah, pull up a chair. You're going you're to need it for this. Now they add, a successful COVID-19 vaccination campaign will liberate us as individuals and as a collective from the callous grip of a pandemic that just won't seem to end. Orwell's party proclaimed in 1984 that freedom is slavery. And Barry Brownstein says Ferguson and Kaplan came very close to arguing slavery is freedom. Ferguson and Kaplan, he says, assure us that the Enlightenment view of the unbound individual is outdated. They want to reimagine freedom as communal, starting with the individual's participation in a community and the kind of community in which the individual lives. So here they develop their argument, quote, Here, freedom is communal rather than individualistic. And rather than being unbound, individuals in the free community are bound by and to each other. 
communal freedom achieves much more than the unbound individual ever could. It creates new possibilities and expands our horizons. Life is enhanced when our community is free because we can participate in communal freedom and the goods it creates. I'm sorry, but that's, that is, that's a lot of word salad to say that they, they are embracing collectivism. Uh, Barry Brownstein says they want to take us back to the future with Rousseau as their guide. Quote, this view of freedom is like that of Rousseau's. A society is made free by individuals cooperating, by binding themselves to each other and to the rational pursuit of common goals. From this perspective, vaccine mandates and other strong-arm tactics induce liberty rather than restrict it. Now, Barry Brownstein says, look, for some, flowery visions of the common good have always been seductive. In fact, he references the road to serfdom by Friedrich Hayek, who observed that even well-meaning people will ask, if it be necessary to achieve important ends, why shouldn't the system be run by decent people for the good of the community as a whole? Now, Barry Brownstein says Hayek challenges the axiomatic belief that wise people can tell others what the common good is. And Hayek goes on to explain why there is no such thing as the common good. Quote, the welfare and happiness of millions cannot be measured on a single scale of less or more. The welfare of people, like the happiness of a man, depends upon a great many things that can be provided in, in, in an infinite variety of combinations. End quote. Pulitzer Prize-winning historian James McGregor Burns recounts in his book Fire and Light how Rousseau's ideas of the general will led to the brutality of his disciple Robespierre. Like Hayek, Burns explains that there can be no agreement about what the common good is. Claiming to rule by the common good inevitably leads to excesses. Robespierre and the other 11 men who made up the Committee of Public Safety ruled France with unlimited power and terror. And Burns explains what Rousseau did not understand. Peaceful and democratic conflict is crucial to the achievement of freedom. Instead, Rousseau imagined, like Ferguson and Kaplan, a new society filled with good citizens working selflessly and with identical minds for the common good. Yeah, no competition in the marketplace of ideas? That's not a good thing. Uniformity is not the hallmark of a free people. That's the hallmark of a totalitarian state. Barry Brownstein says Rousseau's ideas are mantras for censors. In Rousseau's world, there would be no pesky long debates, dissensions, and tumult, impending implementation of the common good. Dr. Fauci is sure he is right, and he has had enough of those making different choices than his guidance. I mean, this was just, what, a couple weeks ago he was saying, I respect people's freedom, but when you're talking about a public health crisis that we've been going through now for well over a year and a half, the time has come, enough is enough. And Barry Brownstein says, let's not hide Fauci's plain meaning. I respect people's freedom to do what I tell them. Spot on. The basic human right to decide what goes into your body is now being reversed. So you're to take all the vaccines Dr. Fauci and Pfizer deem necessary. They, not you, will decide the parameters of your freedom with Ferguson and Kaplan cheering them on. Rest easy, like Robespierre, the fallible decisions of Dr. Fauci, politicians, bureaucrats, and cronies are all for the common good. 
And with Freedom Redefined, there will be no need to take personal responsibility for your health decisions. Those who don't go along with official guidance must be dealt with, ban them from travel, from schools, from employment. In Ferguson and Kaplan's Rousseauian view, society is merely expunging those that won't take a knee to whatever is proclaimed the common good. Now, Burns explains that the leaders operating from the common good mindset have the absolute conviction that they are right. And then he explores the French Revolution as he recounts the totalitarian tyranny of the Jacobins. The Jacobins believed only they understood the general will of the French people. Hence, they were morally right. And Burns continues, opposition was considered not merely mistaken, but evil and traitorous and hence punishable, even lethally. The Jacobins asserted a monopoly on virtue, which meant to them a license to kill those who held up other values. I don't think this is a frivolous comparison, by the way. It's, it's the idea that uh, we are so right that uh, standard you know, applications of things like right and wrong, they don't uh, work in this case. They don't apply. We are so right that whatever we have to do, however many heads must be chopped off, that's what it's going to take. Because we're right. We are that right. I mean, that's scary stuff. And Barry Brownstein points out today, health Jacobins don't argue that they should kill the unvaccinated, but some of them do argue the unvaccinated should be deprived of health care. Maybe you've seen it. Well, if they're unvaccinated, they should be denied treatment. Do you think we're going to put you on a, on a ventilator when you had a chance to manage an illness and you chose not to? I mean, that's some pretty, that's some, that's the mark of a really small soul to sit there and wish harm on people. I mean, what was it? Just, just over the last few days, Joe Rogan was diagnosed with COVID earlier this week. And, of course, because he has been um, a, a person who has spoken maybe not out, you know, against vaccines. I mean, he said, you know, some people, you know, they should get it. But he's definitely said, but if you're healthy, you really shouldn't need it. Oh, that made people mad. So when he got COVID, what do you suppose happens? People are wishing for him to die. And he's frustrated those people. Why? Well, because he used ivermectin and uh, other other treatments. And he's getting better. How dare he do that? We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, one of our sponsors of the program. They are located in St. George, Utah, and if you are looking to secure financing for a VA loan or, you know, a reverse mortgage, you want to, you want to refinance your existing home loan, Heather's the one you need to talk to. Seriously, get on the horn with her, and you can call. Very simple. Call her at 435-703-4522. If you're in St. George... You can go to 619 South Bluff Street. That's where her office is. Her NMLS ID is 715386. And yes, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. 
So I've been sharing this uh, this essay from Barry Brownstein about the totalitarian roots of vaccine mandates. And I think it's absolutely appropriate that we are seeing a comparison to the thinking that drove the French Revolution. And it was the thinking of people who were so certain of their own righteousness and their own absolute infallibility that they could safely murder to their heart's content anyone who disagreed with them. That's really dangerous stuff. And yet we're seeing aspects of this. In the, in the piece by Barry Brownstein, he says, in his seminal essay, Individualism, True and False, F.A. Hayek contrasts true individualism and the false individualism of philosophers like Rousseau. True individualism is a product of an acute consciousness of the limitations of the individual mind, which induces an attitude of humility toward the impersonal and anonymous social processes by which individuals help to create things greater than they know. Now, by contrast... False individualism is the product of an exaggerated belief in the powers of individual reason and of a consequent contempt for anything which has not been consciously designed by it or is not fully intelligible to it. So when Ferguson and Kaplan write, well, freedom is communal rather than individualistic, they, in Hayek's words, express the silliest of the common misunderstandings. The adoption of such ideas, Hayek explains, has been a source of of modern socialism. And Barry Brownstein says the error made by collectivist apologists is the belief that individualism postulates or bases its arguments on the assumption of the existence of isolated or self-contained individuals instead of starting from men whose whole nature and character is determined by their existence in society. This false individualism of Rousseau and others assumes that everything which man achieves is the direct result of, and therefore subject to, the control of individual reason. Masquerading as people who reason the best, Ferguson and Kaplan and Hayek's words pretend to be able to directly comprehend social wholes like society. Now Hayek's explanation of true individualism is the antidote for such hubris. Hayek's approach is anti-rationalistic, and regards man not as a highly rational and intelligent, but a very irrational and fallible being, whose individual errors are corrected only in the course of a social process and which aims at making the best of a very imperfect material. Now, we can never make the best of imperfect material when those posing as having superior knowledge are allowed to coerce others. Hayek writes, what individualism teaches us is that society is greater than the individual only insofar as it is free. Insofar as it is controlled or directed, it's limited to the powers of the individual minds which control or direct it. So, in other words, choose to be directed by the limited power of Dr. Fauci's mind or choose the virtually unlimited and unpredictable power of a free society. Now, he concludes by saying, let's put this together. Health collectivists behaving like Jacobins are sure there is one best way. They believe they are the arbiter of truth. Cloaking themselves in the holy robes of the augur of the common good, dissent is not to be tolerated. The end to the pandemic requires not that we follow the collectivists, 
but that we are free to consider different perspectives and discover in the course of an uncoerced social process what really works. I love it. Highly recommend you subscribe, by the way, to uh, Barry Brownstein. And uh, just, I, I believe he also now has a, a Substack presence. But I, I'll have a link to his article from the American Institute for Economic Research in today's show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Definitely recommend his take on things. Ah, uh, What do you do? I'm not calling for people, let's go out there, tooth and knuckle. We're going to be like the Proud Boys. We're going to fight them in the streets. But I think you got to be serious about being a truth warrior of sorts. You've got to be willing to, you got to be willing to be one of those people who reads the fine print. This was explained to me several years ago, and I want you to know, I'm not a person who likes to read the fine print. I confuse easily. My wife is really good at this. She's a mathematician. She's very, very smart, way smarter than I am. And so when we are looking through something and there's fine print to be read, I always ask her, would you take a look at this? Tell me anything you see that, uh, that I would miss. And more often than not, she picks up the stuff that I miss. But I do believe that, you know, if you want to get it right down to it, there are two kinds of people in the world. There's those who read the fine print and those who don't. In my experience, the people who read the fine print are the ones who will most likely be able to be free. And the people who just click agree, you know, <laughs> the Apple user agreement comes up. Yeah, I agree, whatever. They're the ones who are going to be sorry. There's an excellent article, actually, from Alan Stevo, who says, look, if you're serious about being a truth warrior, you have got to be willing to ask for and actually read source documents. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is so you don't accidentally spread bad information. And it's also so you don't allow policymakers to exercise, exercise greater power than they legitimately have. For instance, somebody wrote to Alan Stevo recently and said, Hey, Alan, is this true? I found this on Nextdoor. And it's, it's a quote that says, California state guidelines for all hospitals starting Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. Visitors to the hospital have to show proof of COVID vaccinations or negative test results within 72 hours, excluding home tests. Only antigen and PCR testing is acceptable. If a visitor is unable to show proof of identification, vaccination, or negative COVID-19 test, aside from end-of-life exceptions, they will not be able to enter the facility for indoor visitation. And the person writing this says, Please pray for us nurses. We are uh, worried about the violence toward us. Okay. Now, Alan says, look, thank you for this note. It certainly sounds true, doesn't it? You almost feel for the nurse who is as well who wants your pity or for being the person 75 years after Nuremberg who says to you, I was just following orders, or worse, she says to you, I will just be following orders. But his point here is don't follow orders, specifically disobey immoral orders. Ridicule those who follow such orders. He says, if a law-abiding, ethical, moral person wants to commit violence against you at work, you're probably the one doing something wrong. The tests don't work. The tests are bogus. The tests are capricious and allow capricious control of our society by those people who are the most capricious and entirely undeserving of such control. The nurse you quote, 
he tells this writer, preemptively invokes the familiar Nuremberg defense, I'm just going to be following orders. But he says that's not good enough. German medical professionals were sentenced to death on June 2nd, 1948, because they just followed orders. So he follows this up with a warning about what do you do when you find things like this posted on social media? We're going to come back to that here in just a few moments. But the idea here is don't just go out there and disseminate it and perpetuate a falsehood. you got to be willing to vet that information. He describes how that's done. We'll touch on that, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. I'm sharing this article from Alan Stevo, where someone asked him, Hey, Alan, is this true? I found this on Nextdoor. And it was uh, regarding a, a proposed or a supposed policy uh, that would deny people entry into any California hospital, barring that they jump through this hoop or that hoop to prove that they've either been vaccinated or that they have a, a negative COVID test. And, you know, it's it's a legit concern. And I, I see things that are passed around on social media, too. I wonder, hey, is that real? Is it, How seriously should I take this? But I want you to listen to how Alan Stevo responds to this writer. He says, in response to all potential fake news you receive, I want you to do one thing. Don't ask someone else, is this true? Don't say, oh, that poor nurse. In fact, he says, don't circulate it around to others and ask others to prove it for you. He says, assume the statement untrue until the person claiming it proves it to you. Now, he says, the person who sent you this has sent you a PSYOP-filled piece of propaganda, perhaps unwittingly, and they've recruited you to help spread that propaganda. You are spreading their propaganda even though you don't know whether it's true or not. In this specific situation and in the community around you, you are no more upright than the propaganda-spreading anchor on the fake news. In other words, good intentions don't mean much. Outcome, though, means a great deal. So Alan Stevo says you don't want to spread such value-attacking propaganda. Stories that normalize or paint evil as inevitable are a form of predictive programming. Evil must be stood against, not acquiesced to and circulated as the new normal. And the person sending this note to you could be misinformed as well. So he says, please write her back with this question. Would you please send me the policy that you got this information from? And he says, that's a proper answer to a statement made by anyone, anywhere, about a new policy. That's what you want. You want to see the policy. Now, the policy is usually a PDF that looks like it was written by a lawyer. It may even be signed by that lawyer. You don't want a forwarded email from an HR department or a CEO or a link to a website with a few easy-to-read bullet points or a screen capture of some text messages with a colleague or boss you want to see the policy. Now, he says, seeing the policy, of course, doesn't make the policy right. 
many illegal and immoral policies exist. Seeing and understanding the policy, though, gets you one step closer to getting to the truth. It gets you one step closer to combating that which is illegal or immoral. So he says, put her on the spot. Ask her for that policy. Do that before she goes around preparing others for this awful situation you describe by claiming it to be the state policy. And if she doesn't want to get the policy, then write something like this and do it with kindness. Tell her, until you read the policy, you shouldn't believe everything you were told. There may be other details in that policy that may have been left out when they were being communicated to you. There might even be loopholes in the policy that you can use to help others. You owe it to the patients and family members to read the whole policy, especially before posting something like this. Now, he says, don't get me wrong. I've heard some horror stories from California hospitals, and I'm not arguing that some policy like this doesn't exist. But I am arguing against anyone spreading commentary about a policy without having that policy and reading that policy. That's exactly what fake news has done throughout this catastrophe. Policies with massive exemptions have been dishonestly called mandatory or required by the media and in the general public. He says, since I never wear a face mask, yet live a normal life, despite living in one of the most locked-down places in this country, I can tell you that the words face masks required are never true. If allowed, those exemptions may be quietly closed. Rather than allow such exemptions to be ignored, rather than allow face masks required to be normalized, Rather than allow all exemptions to disappear, it is the job of the thinking person to openly, loudly open these exemptions wider till the policy is irrelevant and dies the miserable, shameful death befitting such nonsensical ideas. His point is that in this era, we need to be savvy people. All of us need to be savvy people calling out anyone who touts propaganda. And by the way, Dear listener, that means you keeping my feet to the fire. If I put something out there that is incomplete, untrue, or false, I need you to call me on it. I'm not going to do it deliberately. My goal is to never mislead you, but if I get bad information, I need you to point it out and say, hey, you may want to reconsider that or you may want to retract that, which I will. Alan Stevo says, people like that may be overly trusting of people that they shouldn't be trusting of. That's the likely situation. So he says, this person may be someone paid to make posts like this or someone who willingly shills for a policy free of charge. Paid shills these days are called marketing professionals. They post all kinds of fake information all over the place intended to elicit a reaction. But he says, decent people don't post anything for the primary purpose of eliciting a reaction. Decent people only post things for the primary purpose of telling the truth. That's a key focus that any decent person needs to have, especially in this era. How do I tell the truth as much as possible? How do I only communicate information that is intended to be as truthful as possible? How do I get others to react the way I want them to? He says, that's a manipulative, dishonest question to ask. And so much of the world around us is asking exactly that question. Look, there's fake news all around us. 
The masses have always been easily swayed by fake news. It was once impossible for impresarios to move large segments of the global population at once. Rumor would circulate about, and it was the job of each person to figure out what that meant and what was true. Now, the same happens today, but there's radio, TV, social media, and it can all be so easily controlled and orchestrated by central figures, by marketing professionals. Little has changed other than the fact that people who want to see, who want you to be harmed and controlled have so much more influence over what you see around you. If you stop ingesting social media, radio, and TV, then no one can do that to you. Just stopping all three will suddenly free you from almost all propaganda and fake news. It's very liberating. So if you aren't going to quit cold turkey, you need to be savvy. Otherwise, you welcome yourself to be a pawn in all of this. He says, if you want to use any of those three, TV, radio, or social media, you need to be a constant warrior for the truth. Nothing can be believed, nothing can be circulated, until you truly understand what it is that you're reading. Now that means you've got to find the primary source document. And only then can we be having a real conversation about this. You need to figure out where the written policy is, who passed it, who do they claim it applies to. Does such a body have the ability to make such requirements over the people they claim to be able to make requirements over? Oh yeah, these are the kind of questions that will get people hot under the collar. He says there's a pet project that one time started as a mosquito abatement project. Today it is known as the CDC. Does that glorified mosquito abatement project have the authority to mask a child? Does that glorified mosquito abatement project have the authority to shut down an economy? Does that glorified mosquito abatement project have the authority to make charging rent illegal? The answer is no, they don't. Certainly not in my life nor should you let them have that authority in yours. So Alan Stevo is saying, ask the hard questions about every requirement you are told now exists. But he says you need the source document. You need to read it and understand it. Until then, every detail of a government policy needs to be deemed fake news. This may be the most revolutionary thing you hear all week. And of course, I will have a link in the show notes to this article by Alan Stevo. He's a regular contributor to LewRockwell.com, which is one of the pillars of my resources for wrong thinkers. I hope you'll check it out. Go to the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Take a look, see what you think. All right, we've got to take a quick break. As we head to the break, let me remind you that one of my sponsors is LifesavingFood.com. I hope that you will click on the link which I provide in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com and see what you can find to bolster your food storage program. they got a great selection. The prices are good. It's in stock. It's kind of the perfect situation. And you get a 10% discount if you use the code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Listen, I don't want to make myself out here to be a really generous kind of guy, but more often than not, you will find more articles in my show notes than I have time to get to in the course of a day's program. Those are there. I still publish them there, and they are for your convenience, for your uh, edification, if you will. You can you can take a look at them and see what what you think. Research further if you'd like to. Couple articles I will not have time to talk about in in this hour, but I would still point you to because they're part of the show notes. Um, as we're witnessing this ongoing clampdown on the populations of Australia and New Zealand, something that has come to mind over and over again is how do they put up with this? I mean, it's it is heartbreaking to see what's happening. And now, <clears throat> I, I I hesitate to say this because it might be fake news. I don't know. I haven't seen the original document. But there's a report coming out now that is making the round saying that there is a new uh, facial recognition app that is being used by authorities, and they're claiming, and if this is true, and I'm not telling you it is, just take it with a grain of salt. If this is true, police in Australia will reach out to people and tell them, we need to know your location. In other words, to make sure you're not violating the lockdown. You have 15 minutes to send us a photo with your face so we can verify you know, your facial recognition as well as your location. Otherwise, you know, we're going to come and fine you or arrest you or whatever. If this is true, then you are seeing one of the most uh, clever and insidious police states within memory being erected right before your eyes. And it takes me back to about 20-some years ago when New Zealand and Australia were disarming their public. And they did it incrementally. It wasn't all at once. There was a couple of high-profile mass shootings, and they took the guns away from the people. And the, the heavy-handed tactics you're seeing today are only possible in places where the public has been disarmed, where the government has a monopoly on force. So there's an article here from Robert Bridge, why Americans will never surrender their guns, even if it means peace with the police. It's not, you know, celebrating, yeah, shoot them up. It's just that Second Amendment, that limit on government power has frustrated more politicians and and for good reason. And it should be a very good reason for you and I to, you know, commit. I'm not going to give them up. There's another article here. This is from Daniel Klein. I know you've heard the statistics. You know, 98% of the COVID hospitalizations and deaths have been among the unvaccinated. But is that correct? Well, Daniel Klein has a great article on the 98% propaganda being touted by authoritarians. I mean, if anything, I've heard people say, hey, uh, you might want to consider not traveling this weekend. Uh, why? Because I'm unvaccinated? No, because it could bring you in, in close contact with people who are vaccinated and you're more likely to catch COVID from them. Dope! <laughs> Actually, I think there may be some truth to that. All right. Now, I, I wanted to get on to one other article here. This was a fun one from Annie Holmquist from intellectualtakeout.org. I've never watched Peppa Pig, but I have grandkids, and so I gather that uh, Peppa Pig is, is a real thing. 
And Annie is talking about raising children to be more than Peppa parrots. She says, Peppa Pig, a British children's cartoon, has taken America by storm, so much so that children are absorbing the British accent its characters feature. A recent article in the Wall Street Journal explains, parents are resorting or reporting that they've become mummy. Santa has morphed into Father Christmas, for whom children must make mince pies, and mature phrases like, how clever, pervade toddler dialects. In other words, today's children have experienced full-on Peppa absorption. Now, Annie Holmquist says, look, on the surface, that absorption is cute. A phrase through which children, uh, apparently who have uh, weathered the pandemic lockdowns in front of the screen, must pass before they mature and grow up. But she says, such absorption also provides a reminder for us adults. Peppa Pig may be harmless, but the other influences our children are absorbing often aren't. And making sure our children are absorbing good influences is one of the primary roles of a parent. Now, this absorption approach to child-rearing was promoted by political theorist W. Cleon Skousen in his 1962 book, So You Want to Raise a Boy. Skousen said it's the idea that we should surround our children with the kind of adults we would like our children to emulate. Adults who will exhibit the love, interest, kindness, leadership, and ambition which inspire children to become like them and thereby absorb them into the exciting, wonderful precincts of the adult world. So breaking Skousen's comments into bite-sized pieces creates the picture of the influences adults should seek to be as well as place in the lives of their children. So for love, for instance, parents and adults who shower children with hugs and kisses immediately come to mind. And while such love is good and essential, Annie Holmquist says we should also balance that with the tough love that involves speaking hard truths and giving correction. Children who only receive pampering will absorb the mentality that they can do no wrong. Then there's interest. In a world where most people are simply interested in their phones, finding adults who will encourage a child's interest in other directions can be a challenge. Yet they're out there. Look for influences who are excited about learning, are eager to introduce your children to good books, are avid readers themselves, and are quick to share what they read with others. Let your children absorb the influence of adults who ask questions of children and challenge their little minds to think outside the box. Kindness. She says, whether parents or grown-ups in general, it's easy for adults to overlook children and not take time for them. But a kind individual will do just the opposite. They won't necessarily make children their primary focus, doting on them as if they're the only thing in the world. But they'll talk to them, share special times with them, and in general, be individuals whom children have no trouble approaching. Then there's leadership. And she says, contrary to what we see coming out of our so-called leaders in Washington, true leaders don't thumb their noses at their own rules, but are instead humble about their mistakes and are willing to apologize when they are wrong. Surround your children with influences who don't just give orders and then do the exact opposite, but who exhibit strong conviction and follow through on those convictions, even when difficult. And then there's ambition. Annie Holmquist says those with good ambition strive after worthy goals rather than playing the victim. If we want our children to make something of their lives rather than just riding on the coattails of others, 
then we should introduce to them individuals who aren't lazy, but who are willing to step up, meet the challenge, and make a difference in this crazy world of ours. Now, sadly, it can be difficult to allow our children to absorb these types of influences in their lives, mainly because their time is demanded by two main sources. Former Teacher of the Year John Taylor Gatto describes this scenario well in a speech entitled, Why Schools Don't Educate. He said, two institutions at present control our children's lives, television and schooling, in that order. Both of these reduce the real world of wisdom, of wisdom, fortitude, temperance, and justice to a never-ending, non-stop, non-stopping abstraction. In centuries past, the time of a child and adolescent would be occupied in real work, real charity, real adventures, and the realistic search for mentors who might teach you what you really wanted to learn. A great deal of time was spent in community pursuits, practicing affection, meeting and studying every level of the community, learning how to make a home, and dozens of other tasks necessary to become a whole man or woman. End quote. Annie Holmquist says, The good news is that times have changed in these past few years. With circumstances adjusting so that parents can have more control over at least the schooling aspect of their children's lives. So with that in mind, she says, let's resolve to not just allow our children to waste time absorbing influences such as Peppa Pig. Instead, let's surround them with influences that will make our children face the world with courage and character as adults. Gosh, that sounds like a pretty full-time challenge. But it also sounds like it would be very, very worthwhile. I was kind of tickled. I, I don't. I thought I had read just about everything that Cleon Skousen had written, and I have never seen. So you want to raise a boy? Well, I've raised three of them. Okay, two and a half of them. Still in the process of raising one, but that seems like some pretty solid advice. Looks like I may have a little bit of reading to do over the weekend. Thanks once again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Please visit my page, thebrianhideshow.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you like. Become a supporter if you'd like. Say hi to my sponsors and check out those show notes. This is The Brian Hyde Show.